what the word of the Lord says. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one has died, has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. I would encourage everyone just to take a minute or so in prayer, just you and the Lord. And then here in about a minute, I will pray us into the sermon. And after I pray, you can feel free to be seated. But let us now just spend a little time in prayer before we get into the sermon here this evening. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for tonight. We thank you for the privilege to be here. We thank you for the privilege to sing praises to your name. We thank you for the privilege to hear from your word. And I pray that every single person in here tonight would be transformed by your power and for your glory. And Lord, if there is anyone here tonight that doesn't know you, I pray that tonight would be their night of salvation. Father, I pray that you would give them eyes to see your truth, that you would give them ears to hear your truth, and that they would be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, thank you for making a way for us to have salvation. And Spirit, thank you for empowering us to live according to your word. Father, again, we thank you for all you will do here tonight. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And you may be seated. Now, before we set up camp here in Romans chapter 6, I actually want us to look at a few other verses. And so if you would keep your place marked in Romans chapter 6 and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1, I would like us to look at a few verses there before starting to unpack Romans chapter 6. So in 1 Timothy chapter 1, I would like us to consider verses 12 through 16. So in 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 12, it says this, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor and an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, the saying is trustworthy, 
and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. I want us to draw two things out of this text that, by the way, should be exciting for every single person in this room. If you are in Christ, this should bring great excitement. And if you have never heard the gospel before, this should bring you great excitement. The first thing I would like us to consider in these verses is verse 13, where Paul talks about who he formerly was. He says, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor of the church. I was an insolent opponent of the church. But what is amazing about this is he is no longer identified in this way. Even though this used to be exactly who Paul was, Paul is no longer this man. Paul has been transformed formed by the power of Jesus Christ. When we consider the statement tonight of being baptized into Christ Jesus, something has happened so drastically in your life because of Christ that you are no longer identified with who you were before you came to know Jesus Christ. And for the Christian in the room, that should make us want to shout out a hefty amen. And for the person in the room tonight that is still being identified by their sin, my hope is that you will continue to listen to the rest of this text. Because Paul goes on to say this, this saying, verse 15, is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then this beautiful statement, of whom I am the foremost. No matter how sinful you think you are, Christ's work is enough to save you. And I'm even going to take it a step farther. You don't even begin to tax what it is that Christ has done, regardless of how much sin you bring to the table. His grace is more than enough. And if you look around in here tonight as someone who doesn't believe and say, there is no way that Christ would receive me, Brother, sister, he will receive you if in humility you confess your sins and repent of them and believe in the work of Jesus Christ that we are going to be talking about here tonight. And you will receive his spirit that you can walk in accordance to his word. And so with that said, let us now go back to Romans chapter 6 and let us start in verse 1 where it says this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And so based on what Paul said at the end of chapter 5, his assumption is this, that the question that people are going to ask is, are we then to continue in sin that grace may abound? So let us look at the end of chapter 5 and see why in the world they might think that. Starting in verse 20 of chapter 5, it says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what he is assuming that his audience might think in reading those two verses is this. That if God's grace is glorified in the forgiveness of sin, why should we not sin it up? If it is going to point to God's goodness, God's love, God's grace when we sin, should we not sin that more and more and more grace may abound? Paul's answer, absolutely not. 
But let's for a moment unpack why the answer is absolutely not. The first thing I want us to consider is this in verse 21. The two things that reign inside of that portion of Scripture. In one situation, sin reigns and it leads to death. So therefore, friend, if sin is reigning in your life, The outcome of that situation is death, or another way to say it, if you have not been baptized into Christ, sin is reigning in your life. And the result of sin being the king or reigning in your life is not just physical death, but it is also eternal death. And that is why a message like this is so pressing, and that is why as Paul is building into this argument about us saying, should we just keep on sinning that grace may abound? He's saying, if sin is the king of your life, or if your life is all about sinning, what is waiting for you at the end of life is not eternity in heaven. It is eternity in hell, or what the scripture would call the second death. But there's good news here. There's also another kind of reigning that we see here in verse 21 of chapter 5. And that is a reigning of life or of grace. And it is through righteousness. And by the way, it is not through your righteousness. It is through the righteousness of Christ. Just as a reminder, and we've been unpacking this as we've been going through the book of Romans, but you cannot be reminded of this too often. Your righteousness, your good works, your good deeds will never save you. There must be a righteousness that is placed on your life if you are going to be saved. And this is very important for us to understand because we live in a world where people are trying to be good. And so often the reason in which they are trying to be good could be very diverse. But the reality is that for most people, being good is an admirable thing. But in God's economy, being good according to the world's standard will not do you a lick of good when it comes to this issue of eternal death. See, you must have a righteousness placed on your life that you could never attain in and of yourself. And that righteousness must reign in your life. Because when it reigns in your life, it is obvious to all that something has happened in your life. And in the same way, when sin is reigning in your life, nobody is confused. Because you are a slave to that sin, which we will unpack as we go. As we see Paul building this argument of understanding what it truly means to be baptized into Christ, there are two groups that I would like us to address here this evening. The first group would be called the Libertine. And a description of this group would be this, that holiness and righteousness are kind of irrelevant in the Christian life. We are free in Christ to do as we please. We are free from the moral law. We are free from the weightiness of holiness. And we are free from submission. Or another way to say it, I can do whatever I want because Jesus has died for my sins. And so therefore, a transformation is not needed. And so often across America, there is a Jesus offered that does not lead to transformation. And the reason that that Jesus does not lead to transformation is because that Jesus does not require submission. 
that Jesus does not require a lordship in your life or to reign in your life, and instead that Jesus just kind of wants to lock arms with you and walk through life with you as you continue to pursue your dreams, your goals, doing life your way, and that's all good as long as you've said a nice little prayer at the end of some service. I would be doing you a disservice to tell you that a nice little prayer is what saves someone. What saves someone is when righteousness invades someone's life. And whatever was on the throne of your heart, which by the way, whether you realize it or not, it is sin and death, that righteousness kicks in the door of that throne room and throws sin and death off of the throne and takes his rightful place. And by the way, that name for the one who brings that righteousness is Jesus Christ. And that is why it is so important for us to understand as people that there is no other name given under heaven in which men and women can be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. Because there is no one else that will ever sit on the throne of your heart that can offer you salvation. And I would be cruel to you tonight to say that being good or just being religious or spiritual is good enough. If I was to tell you that tonight, I would be gladly and willingly condemning you to an eternity in hell. But because I love God and I love his word, I want you to understand there is only one hope for every person in this room. There is only one hope for every person in this town or in this world. And it is Jesus Christ and him reigning in your heart and in your life. And friend, if you do not know him tonight, I'm pleading with you to submit to his lordship. The other issue is the legalist. And by the way, it is equally as dangerous. The legalist says this, you must keep all the rules. You must keep all the law if you're going to be saved. You are made right with God by rule keeping, not by his grace. This is equally condemning. I'm not trying to get people to join a church. I'm not trying to get people to fill up an offering box. I'm not trying to get people to align with Pastor Jeremy or Legacy Community Church. That is not the goal of the preacher. The goal of the preacher is not to produce a bunch of good rule keepers that find a righteousness in and of themselves by being good and religious and good old Christians in that American kind of way. We go to church on Sunday, we sing out our songs, we put some money in the offering plate, and we do the good Christian thing. Friend, it is not about keeping rules. It is about being transformed by the power of Christ. And this is what Paul is appealing to here. He's saying when you encounter Christ, you don't become a legalist and you do not become a libertine. You become identified by Christ, which is exactly what Paul was telling us in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. He said, I used to persecute the church. I used to blaspheme the church. I used to have the members of the church killed. But Christ saved me because I was ignorant of his truth. He was ignorant of it. He didn't know the gospel. He had not heard it with ears to hear and eyes to see. He was lost in his sin. And they would have looked at him as a good Jewish man, a religious Jewish man, a man who was keeping all of the rules. And yet, 
in all of his rule keeping, he was hopelessly lost. Friends, salvation is not found in rule keeping. So where is the great balance in this? We don't abandon God's grace, but we also do not abandon God's righteousness. If we have experienced God's grace, we will, we will strive to live righteous lives. Justification, which is right standing with God, and sanctification, which is living as if you have had an encounter with Almighty God. That is, becoming more and more and more like Jesus Christ. You cannot separate these two realities. If you are in right standing with God, your life will be a reflection of it because Christ is sitting on the throne of your life. Now, does that mean you're going to be perfect? Absolutely not. We're not appealing to a perfection here tonight. But what we're appealing to is a transformation. That is when people look, they can tell. Are you a slave to sin or are you a slave to righteousness? Are you still hopelessly lost or have you obviously been found because of what people see when they look at your life? So the answer to the question of Romans chapter 6 starting in verse 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Answer verse 2, by no means. And then he asks another question. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Did you know that if you are in Christ, you have died to sin? That is, sin has no power over you any longer because sin is not sitting on the throne of your heart. Christ is. Therefore, he is the authority in your life, not your sin. Some of you in this room tonight actually think you're in charge of your life. You do what you want to do. I want to lovingly encourage you in something. You're not in charge of anything in your life. You are either being controlled by sin or you are being guided and led by the Holy Spirit of God, period. And in light of that reality, let me tell you this. God is a much better master than sin because he leads you to life. And sin leads you to death. Oh, how important this conversation is tonight. See, committing sin can never please God. Christian, I need you to hear that as well. Committing sin can never please God. There is no kind of sin that isn't all that severe. From the smallest deception and manipulation all the way to something that would wreck a whole church. God is never pleased with sin. And in fact, he hates sin. And we must understand this, not just as Christians, but Those of us who do not know him here tonight, do not be fooled. God hates your sin. Do not be fooled. God is not sitting back because he is a loving God saying, whatever you do is fine because I just love everybody. God hates sin. And for every person who is outside of Christ, you are under the righteous wrath of God of Almighty God. But that is not a condition that you have to stay in. And that is the good news 
of this next portion of Scripture as he goes on to say this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, I want to give you guys a little bit of theology here, okay? This is not talking about water baptism, and I actually want to help you with this. What you're going to see when water baptism is being talked about at large throughout the Word of God is this, that you will see people being baptized in the name of, whether it be the Father, Son, or Holy Spirit, or in the name of Jesus, which by the way, these two things are not in conflict with one another because doing something in the name of Jesus is doing something in accordance to what Jesus has taught. Okay, so when you see God saying, baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then when you see in the book of Acts people being baptized in the name of Jesus, these things are not at odds with each other. They are baptizing people according to the teachings of Jesus, which, by the way, the Jewish people had no issue at all with the Father or the Spirit, but they had a huge issue with Jesus and his teachings, which is why there is a focus on that. And so you're either going to see baptism happening in the name of something, or it's going to refer to water inside of the text to make it clear for you that that is going on. But then in texts like Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, and Galatians chapter 3, 27, which we'll be going to in a moment, we see something different going on. We see people not being baptized in the name of Christ, but we see people being baptized in to Christ, which is the spiritual reality that baptism is signifying. And that is, I've died to who I was, and now I am made alive in Christ. And when we get baptized, we want the whole community to know that's happened. Not that as I'm baptized it's happening, but I want the world to know I've been changed by Jesus Christ. And I'm asking you to join me in that celebration. Just wanted to clarify there so there's no confusion. So do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And goes on to say this, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, again, keep your place marked here, and I would encourage you to turn over with me to Galatians chapter 2. Again, this is Paul speaking about what it is that has taken place in his life. And so when we think about this newness of life, Galatians chapter 2, even though he uses a slightly different description, as opposed to saying, I have been baptized into Christ, what he is actually saying here is, I have been crucified with Christ, which again is a spiritual reality. Paul was not actually physically crucified with Christ. And so he's pointing to a spiritual reality, just like he's pointing to in Romans chapter 6. But he says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. If you get nothing else from what it means to be baptized into Christ, see that. You're dead. He now lives through you. Or another way to say it, Life is no longer about you. And let's even get more specific. Life is no longer about sinning and the labels that sinning brings. It's no longer about being identified by who you used to be, even if you might have found yourself, just like the Apostle Paul, to be the chief of sinners. I was really messed up. I did a lot of awful things. So did Paul. And what does he say? But his grace was plenty for what it is that I had done. 
And then he goes on to say this, In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Who did all the action there? God. There is no credit given to Paul at all. He says, God did it. He loved me. He did this in my life. I did nothing but get to participate in the most amazing thing that could ever happen to a person. And that is being crucified with Christ or baptized into Christ. Or another way to say it, being transformed by Christ. See, the gospel has become weak because the gospel so often that is preached does not baptize people into Christ. It doesn't crucify people with Christ. It's an easy gospel. That is, say this prayer and do whatever you want to do and everything's going to be okay. Friend, that does not save. He does not leave you still identified in your sin. He rescues you from your sin. And this is good news. I don't want a Savior that leaves me identified in all my brokenness and all my sin in everything that used to define me. I don't want that kind of Savior. In fact, I don't need that. What I need is a God who loves me and covers me in His righteousness and identifies me no longer with who I was, but identifies me with Him because I've been immersed, I've been baptized into his work. And in light of that, I walk in newness of life. Oh, this is good news. This, in fact, is incredibly good news for every person in the room here tonight. He goes on in verse 5 to say this, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. You know what is amazing? He doesn't just take care of the inward problem of sin. He redeems all of me. Someday I will have a glorified body for all of eternity that feels no pain in any damage I did to this body in the recklessness of my sin will be taken away and redeemed by the power of Jesus Christ and I will get to enjoy him for all of eternity. And this got Paul jacked. He said, look, it's not just about Jesus doing something inside of me. He literally is redeeming all of me. There is nothing about me that will not be identified with him for all of eternity. I am literally fully immersed into the death of Christ and into the life of Christ, and I will be identified by that for all of eternity. And I'm sure if they had all caps back in the day, this would be in all caps. It would be in all caps in the Greek, and he would probably be shouting it even with the all caps about this beautiful reality. And what is so amazing about this is he can never do it himself, no matter what he did. And then he goes on to say this in verse 6, we know, I love that, anytime you see we know, circle it, you know why you need to know? Because there's going to be times you don't feel it. That's why I love the we knows. Anytime I come across something that I need to know, I'm circling it and saying, that's there for a reason because there's days I'm not going to feel like what he's getting ready to say. And this is what he says. 
says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Why does he need to say that? Because I'm still going to struggle with sin in this body. That's why I need to be reminded that there is newness of life. The old self is dead. I need to be reminded of that. Or another way to say it, I need to be reminded I'm still identified with Christ because I'm still going to struggle with some of the sins in my life that used to identify me. And what's the great deception of that? To get you convinced to identify yourself again with that sin. Just still who I am. I'm a failure. I'm a mess up. I'm condemned. I'm not worthy. That's who you used to be. You're no longer condemned. And you're made worthy because of Him. And this is good news for us. Any single time that I sin, I need to step back and remember something. I don't possess this because I'm worthy. I possess this because He made me worthy. I don't possess this because I was able to become a better person before I came to Jesus. I possess this because as his righteousness was put on me, I didn't become a better person. I start to become like Christ. Because my standard is not you or some other good person. My standard is the one who redeemed me, who reconciled me, who justified me, who loves me like no other human being ever will. I want you to think for a moment the person who loves you the most. Consider that person and realize that is a drop in the ocean of the love that God has for you. How you feel when you think about that person times that times a billion and you still haven't even touched how God loves you because he made a way for you to be identified by him for all of eternity taking away all of the consequences eternally of your sin. This is an amazing grace, and this is an amazing love. We're no longer enslaved to sin. And in light of no longer being enslaved to sin, keeping your place marked here, I would encourage you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Somebody's giving me an amen out there. You're right, I'm going to keep preaching. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 1. It says this, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you what? Ought to walk to please God. And then this statement, just as you are doing, and then he gives you this, that you do so more and more. Christian, you never stop becoming more like Christ. You don't reach some finish line and you're just like, I've arrived. Look at me. I'm just like Jesus. Absolutely not. Even when you're doing what is pleasing in his sight, you've still got light years to go because your standard is Christ. So just keep doing it more and more and more. And why is that? He goes on to say this, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, or to simplify that, you to be like Christ. 
That's the will of God. You want to know what God's will is for your life? For you to shine the glory of God in your life and let everybody know that God's love did this. His grace did this. His righteousness placed on my life makes me love Him, care about the things He cares about, want to please Him with everything in me, and I want everyone to know about this. Why? Because there's no other hope other than through the work of Jesus Christ. By the way, it would be easier, easier, if there were millions of ways to salvation. That's what I'm sure some of you think. Why didn't God just make it easier? Because God glorifies himself. Life's all about God. And you might say, well, that's kind of silly and selfish, isn't it? Would it be loving for you to not offer the most awesome thing to the people that you love? Absolutely not. So God is the only one who can offer himself and make it all about him and be absolutely loving in doing it because there's nothing greater he could ever offer us. He would be cruel to point you to any other fake deity, any other fake religion, and let you find a little bit of life there. That would be cruel of him because life is only found in one place. It is found in Christ. And that is why we cannot compromise on this. I want us to jump down to verse 7 for the sake of time. For God has not called us for impurity, Christian. He has called us for holiness. So the Christian life should be made up of living a holy life. Or another way to think about it is you are slowly flipping back to Romans. I would encourage you to stop in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, as you are flipping back in that direction. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, it says this, since we have these promises, that is, by the way, the Word of God, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. How can I do that if God has done a work in my life? I can't do this if I'm not saved. But because I'm saved, because his righteousness has been placed on my life, not only can I be doing this, I need to be all about doing this. And you might say, okay, well, I hear about the love of God thing, but I see this fear of God. What is that all about? It is the reality that there are still consequences in this life for sin. And you don't mess around with that because a loving parent, by the way, a loving God will discipline his children. And discipline is not fun. And he doesn't discipline us because he hates us. He disciplines us because he loves us. That should bring a little healthy fear into your life as you think about that kind of amazing love. Now let's flip back to Romans chapter 6 and let's keep unpacking this. Verse 7. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ... We believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him, which is good news. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. A few very important things in this. This salvation that is being offered is not a salvation that needs to be continually received. 
That is, I receive it, I mess up, I need to go back to him and receive it again. No, this is a finished kind of salvation. That is, it is a salvation to be received once. All of our sins, every single one of our sins, the ones you commit today, the ones in the past, and the ones in the future are all dealt with at the time of salvation. This is a finished work. Now, does that mean we don't confess our sins? Does that mean that we sin that grace may abound? Absolutely not. But we're not dealing with something that God starts and then you have to finish. We're dealing with something that is a finished work. And even though next week, verse 11 is going to be where we start, I want you to look at verse 11 where it says, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. What does it mean to consider something? It is to know something. I am alive in God and I am dead to sin, so therefore I'm going to walk that out in my life. Death and sin have been completely defeated. No dominion, no power eternally over you. When you stand before God, there will be one reason and one reason alone you have access to heaven. And that is, are you covered in the righteousness of Christ? It will not be because you took that righteousness and did some really good stuff with it. It will be only because of the work of Jesus Christ. And so in light of that glorious truth, consider yourself dead to sin and have the freedom to do what? The freedom to live for the glory of God. The freedom to live for something so much more than yourself or in all reality to live for sin. Friend, you've spent way too much time living for sin. Live for Christ because there is nothing greater than living for Christ. I'm going to flip quickly to John chapter 10. If you want to flip with me, great. If you want to stay in the text, that's fine as well. But in John chapter 10, verse 10, it says this, the thief comes only, only by the way, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. Christ says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Again, pointing to an important reality. He did it all so you can live. He is a good shepherd. He is a loving shepherd. He is a kind shepherd. He doesn't leave you out in the wilderness to figure it out yourself. He gives you life. And not just life, but abundant life. That is, there is no end to this life. It is an eternal life. And it is the kind of life that transforms anyone who submits to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. There are a few things on your notes that hopefully will be very encouraging to the Christians in the room and hopefully make you long to be a Christian if you are not here tonight. The first one is this. We are victorious through the work of Christ. Always. Obedience to God is never in vain. It has eternal reward. And so think about this. How crazy is this? Not only does he save me, not only does he do all the work, but then he'll reward me in light of all of that. This kind of love is crazy. Our sins are forgiven, giving us freedom from condemnation. By the way, even self-condemnation. Not just condemnation from God, 
which by the way is far more important, but unfortunately, practically, self-condemnation can rip us to shreds and make us feel like we got to earn this again. Friend, you don't have to earn it at any point. It's freely given as a gift. And in light of that, it gives you a freedom to walk in true life, in true holiness, because I never have to earn it back, because I'm never good enough anyway. So be free to live for the glory of God. And when you fail, repent. Confess your sin and go back to having the freedom to live for the glory of God. The next thing is we are no longer slaves to our sin. Sin has no dominion over us any longer. Why is that? Because we've been offered the newness of life by being baptized into Christ, by being crucified with Christ, by being given new life to live no longer for sin, but for the glory of God. So what helps fuel this great work? Because the Christian life is about having faith that leads to faith, that leads to faith, that leads to faith, because it is a continual trusting in the promises of God. What are the sources that fuel me in that? I would like you to consider five in closing here tonight. The first one is this, the gathering of the saints in corporate worship. I want to make something incredibly clear. I know no one who is madly in love with Jesus that does not treasure the gathering of the saints. No one. Never met them. You want to love God as you ought? Treasure the gathering of the saints because it's essential. You need preached to. I need preached to. We need to be encouraged by the word of God as much as God would give us access to good biblical preaching because God uses it to sanctify his people. You know what else he uses to sanctify his people? The corporate worship and singing. I talked about it a few weeks ago. I'll say it again. You guys aren't just singing for the sake of singing. You're singing to each other because you actually believe that stuff. And there is some strength that comes from knowing I'm not the only one. There's a whole lot of people in this room that believe that Bible and believe those words, and that encourages me to press on. So we need to treasure the gathering of the saints in corporate worship too. We need to treasure our daily time with God in prayer and Bible reading. I know no one again who is madly in love with Christ or on fire for God or whatever other way you want to describe it that does not do that. Don't know one single person. Not one. That's important. You're not going to break that mold, by the way, because it is God's will for your sanctification. And this is one of the means of sanctification. Three, to encourage one another. Again, I do not know anyone on fire for Christ that does not encourage people and, by the way, is being encouraged. Don't know them. You can't be too busy for this stuff, by the way, if it makes me like Christ. If being like Christ is the pinnacle of life or that abundant life, how could I ever say, I'm too busy for abundant life. Give me a break. Because, again, you don't have to believe this, but if you do, can we walk like we do? 
Like if you do believe it, if you're going to say to everybody, I'm a Christian, can you live like abundant life is found in obedience to this? Because there's a world that needs to see that. They don't need Christians that just say a prayer and do whatever they need to do. That does not save anyone. I don't want the kind of Jesus that leaves me helpless in my sins to die an eternal death. I want to have a Jesus that I see in people's lives, transforming them and making them want to do things that people in the world don't want to do. Like come and worship God and hear from his word and spend time with him daily and encourage people. I don't know anyone who's lost that wants to do any of that. But lost people need to see that because that's the power of God at work in people's lives. Four, serving one another. Loving, serving one another. Why? Because Jesus says this crazy thing in Acts 20, it is better to give than to receive. What? Better to give? That's not very American. We're not going to start doing Christmas that way, are we? This is the way we think. There's no way that's true. You're right. There is no way that's truth outside of Christ. Outside of Christ, no one thinks like that, but people inside of Christ know it to be true because they serve one another. And last but not least, oh, how I need to hear this regularly. Get over yourself. We are victors. We're not victims. If you're in Christ, never a victim. Never. Because he's for you. I'm going to read something in Romans chapter 8 just as a reminder starting in verse 32. Actually, we'll start in 31. It says this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Do you believe that? Do you believe that? You know who doesn't believe that? A victim. You know who does believe that? Someone who's victorious in Christ. They believe that. If God is for me, who can be against me? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What are all these things? He's not just going to start a work in your life. He's going to finish the work in your life. He's going to graciously give you everything you need. He didn't save you to embarrass you. He didn't save you to put you to shame. He saved you that you would shine his glory in all the world. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? By the way, no one that God will listen to. There might be some people who will bring a charge against God's elect, but God isn't listening. This is why. Because it is God who justifies. Because I already knew it. That thing you just told me about so-and-so, I already knew. I knew all of it when I saved them. Not only did I know everything they did, I also knew everything they were going to do, and I saved them anyway. So what are you bringing to the table? I already know it all. And yet they're saved because of what it is that Christ has done. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Good news, he's for you. And you never have to worry a millisecond if you can lose what it is he has given you because he will finish the work he began in your life. So two challenges here tonight. Christian, are you living like you've been baptized with Christ? If not, there's no excuse for it because you have his spirit. 
Secondarily, if you don't know him, I'm pleading with you not to leave this place without knowing him because you're walking out on abundant life. You're looking at sin being on the throne of your heart and saying, I'll take that over this Christ that I heard about here tonight. That's literally what you're saying. I don't want the one who saves me. I want the one who will condemn me. I don't want the one who brings me life. I want the one who brings me death. What a silly decision to make. Confess your sins tonight. Bow to his lordship. Admit, I could never be good enough, but Christ, what you did makes me good enough when your righteousness is placed on my life. Confess that and believe that he will give you his spirit to walk like we talked about here tonight. I'm going to encourage you to just do some business with God. Just you and him, privately, quietly, and then I will pray and we will work into the time of communion, but do business with God tonight because I'm sure all of us have some business to do. Let us pray, and then here in a moment I will pray us into this time of communion. Let's pray. Father, let no one leave this place identified by their sin. I would ask that every person when they leave here tonight would be identified by you, by the grace found in the salvation through the work of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would save everyone in here tonight that doesn't know you. Please give them eyes and ears to understand the gospel. Only you can save. We cannot save ourselves. We thank you for everything you did here tonight in salvation. And Father, I also just want to thank you for giving the Christian a kick in the seat of the pants that might have needed it tonight. We've been baptized into Christ. We are recipients of a full life we have received the Holy Spirit that we can walk in accordance to your word, Father. Let us live like it. We pray that in Jesus' name. And Father, I pray now as we go into this time of communion that you would give us awe and reverence. That you would quiet our minds and our hearts and just allow us for a moment to be in awe of what it is that has been done for us as we participate in communion here tonight. We pray us in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. A few things I'd like to share before we go into this time of communion. The first one is just to give a quick explanation of what communion is all about. Communion is about celebrating something. It doesn't do anything any more than baptism does anything when it comes to salvation. But what it is, it is a celebration of being saved. It is a celebration 
of what it is that Christ has done on our behalf. And if you do not know him, I would encourage you not to participate in this tonight. Because until you know him, you should not celebrate what he has done. But if you came to know him here tonight, you can celebrate this with us. And then Christian, if you need to do some business with God before taking it, I would encourage you to do that as I read this portion of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 11, where it gives us this warning. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. He goes on to say this, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. So tonight I encourage you that if you don't know him to not participate in doing this and secondarily, if you need to do some business with God before taking it, I would encourage you to do that here tonight. With that said, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 Starting in verse 23, it says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So as we take the bread here tonight together, Let us do this in remembrance of the great work that Christ has done in our lives. Let us eat. Then in verse 25, it says, In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of of me. As we drink this here this evening, let us remember what it is that he has done for us in salvation. Let us take this together. I'm going to encourage the worship team to come back up. We're going to sing a song of celebration together, and as they are working their way up, I would like us to have a time of prayer, and then we will rejoice together in what it is that God has done here in our midst tonight. So let us pray. Father, again, we thank you. We thank you so much for our salvation. We thank you that we get to celebrate this with other people who have been transformed in the same way that we have. I pray as we drink this cup and eat this bread together that you would give this church a unity A unity not based on a church's name. A unity not based on a pastor. But a unity based on the work of Jesus Christ. And I pray that our unity will always be built on your word. And that we would desire to live according to it. With everything in us. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. If you would stand with us and worship.
take a seat for 30 seconds. I have a quick announcement for you guys. Um, didn't want you to have to stand through it. So this should be good news to most of us. Um, we have decided as an eldership to start working in a direction to no longer be wearing these all the time. And so what we're going to be doing starting this Thursday is that we ask kind of what we would call the restaurant rule that as you walk into the building, that you are wearing this. If you get up to go to the bathroom, that you would be wearing this. But when you are in your seat, 
you will not have to wear this any longer. Now, if you still want to choose to wear it, please do that and do not feel any pressure not to wear it. But we do want to encourage you that when you are seated, you do not need to wear this. When we are going to continue to do social distancing, have the six feet. If anybody is moving around in the room, we need you to wear this because we want to continue to offer a safe environment for everyone to come into regardless of where they are on the scale of things. But we also want you guys to be able to worship, to be able to sing, and to be able to hear from God's word without wearing this when you are seated. And in the same way, when you leave the building, we would ask that you also be wearing this. And this is going to be starting on Thursday. We also want to let you guys know that we are going to be opening back up this space to fellowship as well and being outside. But the key is this. When the service is over, if you want to fellowship in here, you need to wear this when you're fellowshipping and you need to keep distance from each other, okay? If you would rather fellowship outside, and obviously as it starts getting colder, that might become less and less of an attractive option. But if you want to continue to fellowship outside, you do not need to wear a mask in the parking lot to fellowship. But if you are in here communicating with one another, you are up, you are out of your seat, please wear this, okay? This is not stuff that we want to have to police and wrestle through and all that stuff. We just ask you guys to please abide by this. Now, is there any time frame on this when we're moving to the next thing? No, but this is where we're going to start, okay? And so we just want to encourage you guys in that. And again, whatever you're comfortable with, if you're still comfortable wearing this through the service, feel free. And we want you to do that as long as you want to continue to do that. But if you are ready, to remove this during the time of worship and during the time of hearing from the word and you are seated, feel free to do that. Now, if you have any questions at all, please give me a call or text me and I would love to clarify anywhere I can. I will also be sending out an email to everybody about this just in case there were people that were not here tonight so that they know what is going on as well. Okay, so I'm not going to open up the floor for questions or anything, but as I said, feel free to call me or text me if you have any questions at all about anything that was shared here tonight. Yes. 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 And you don't have to worship sitting. That is, once you are in your place, okay, if you're going to be moving around, you can stand to worship and not be wearing this. Thank you, babe, for that clarification. Yes. Yes, 